Do you see AI replacing certain departments of marketing? Yes. Although we're seeing 94% of the content written by humans ranks higher than AI content. First thing is a lot of them believe that the riches are in the niches. That's the total opposite. If you say you want to do something, but you're not passionate about it, you're not going to last long. Focus. I think that's the biggest issue because it's much easier to become a millionaire taking 0.01% of a really massive market than it is taking 50% of a $10 million market. There's tons of opportunities. The real question is, what do you want to do and what are you passionate about? If you're passionate about something, typically it's what you want to do because you enjoy it because you're good at it. Welcome to the show, Neil. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming down. It's been uh, too long. Went from hanging out every, all the time, a couple times a week, to barely ever seeing you these days. But it's great to see you, man. I know. The fault's yours, though. You got busy making money <laughs> and building businesses instead of just chilling and not doing anything. Well, you moved out of the Mandan Oriental. I stopped getting to have <laughs> butter chicken and hang out with you and have that beautiful skyline. So I had to go back to work, man. That's right. Well, congrats on all your success, by the way. Same to you. Same to you and the family and all the amazing things that are happening. It's a... Uh, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of all the things that have happened over the last, what, 12 years now? Yeah. Has it been 12 years? Dude, we've known each other for a long time. Remember the chef works days? Yes. I still never got my knives. Did you get your knives? No, and I never, I did get aprons. I got a box of aprons. <laughs> I got aprons. The aprons are good. Do you remember, uh, do you remember the meeting, the dinner we had where they asked us to go with the bacon soup and they wanted us to go fly in the helicopter <laughs> yeah. and shoot, what were they? Um, not boar. There, it was something where they had an overpopulation, and they're like, yeah, you want to get strapped off on the side of a helicopter and just go hunting? And I was like, uh, no, thank yeah, you. Yeah, can you imagine you and me in a helicopter <laughs> shooting wild boar with an assault rifle? My favorite that was part. Gun, was it Gunbroker? Uh, it was at the time when it was Gunbroker and I think Gunbroker and Remington? No, Remington. Remington. Remington, yes. the gun company. Yes. But I don't. you don't own a gun, right? No. Me neither. So, so then, but it was just like a funny feeling because you're just like, yeah, you guys want to go hunting with us? Like, uh. <laughs> like you're a vegan and they serve, or vegetarian, and they served bacon, bacon with, soup. With bacon bits <laughs> on top of the bacon soup. You're like, soup. I'm vegetarian. Like, oh, we have soup. Bacon soup. <laughs> with bacon on top. <laughs> it's just like, how many kinds of bacon do you need? Yeah, what a what a ride that was. But anyway, thank you for coming in, man. This is exciting. Yeah. And it's exciting to watch how far Neil Patel Digital's gone, Uber Suggest. I mean, you just kill it at everything you do. And I think for the audience, a lot of people struggle with success, but also they struggle with how to think about digital marketing, SEO, yeah. the transition with AI and how it's all becoming uh, much more, much harder if you don't have the right strategy. Yeah. And so I guess I want to tee it off with my first question. Where do you see the industry going with AI and how does marketers like yourself and the ones at home who are watching this, how will they be able to play in this new evolving space? So there's a few things to mention. Number one, Danny Sullivan, who is the search liaison for Google, has mentioned that every year Google's been around, they've driven more traffic to websites than the previous year, organic traffic. So even though the click-through rates have declined since Google first came out to now, more people are using Google, which is causing more traffic to websites. That's the first thing to keep in mind. Two, the way AI works is it's scraping the web in essence, taking what it's learning, and then feeding out outputs based on what you ask it. Whenever you do a Google search, there's a good chance you're going to see a result that's inaccurate. Not all the results, 
but there's a handful of results that are inaccurate. Maybe not on the first page, maybe on the second page, maybe on third. And in many cases, we've seen it on the first page as well. I'm not trying to throw shade at Google. That is a hard thing to solve because what is really considered inaccurate versus accurate? And I'll give a prime example of this, and this could be a hot topic, but people now can resonate with this. Do you remember when COVID first came out, everyone was like, you need to get the vaccine, you're an anti-vaxxer, yada, yada, yada. I'm not saying I'm for the vaccine or against it. Let's set aside opinions. And now ask people who takes the vaccine, the booster shots. Do you know anyone who actually takes the booster shots anymore? Outside of my my parents, my or parents so, well, age people, no. Exactly. But they used to tell you, you need to take it. You have to get it. Why don't we have to take it now? So the articles that came out earlier that say you have to take it, you're silly for not, and people, you know, making fun of others and going to the extreme. Are those really accurate? Or are the articles that come out now that say no one really needs a booster anymore, it's not going to do much for you, are those accurate? So when people ask, AI questions about COVID vaccines, you have so many different opinions and you have so many different signals that show they're right. You have to remember, these are robots, machines that are learning. And they're using things like, how many people are linking to the article? What are the comments saying? What's the sentiment? How many social shares are they getting? And you have indicators on both sides that are saying this is the right article and this is the right viewpoint. So when Google then provides a result or Bing provides a result when you search through their AI and it just tells you the answer, it's not always going to be accurate. They know this. This is why they rely on something called double E-A-T, experience, expertise, authority, and trust, right? E-E-A-T. Double E-A-T, experience. Expertise, authority, and trust. Okay. Because they know if you're a doctor who's studied COVID for 10 years, I know it hasn't been out for 10 years, you're more likely to give more accurate information than Jeff Fenster or Neil Patel. You agree with that? I do. There's not much of a bias there. Right. I'm not talking about a doctor studying it for a year, a scientist or doctor who's been studying it for 10 years, they have tons of research published, facts and data versus just, you know, people talking about whatever they want to talk about based off of one day's worth of data or six months worth of data. So all I'm getting at is AI isn't 100% accurate. They know this. They can't just feed you all AI responses and just expect you to be happy with outcome. Okay. And what I always tell people is, yes, for a lot of informational keywords, you're going to see AI produce a lot of the results, especially the longer tail, because we're seeing a huge trend of people searching on Google sentences, not two, three word phrases. I'm talking about an exact sentence like, I commute to bike and it takes me three miles a day. What's the best bike to get? Assuming I have to go up hills for half the journey. People are searching that that much, that many words are being typed in? People are searching longer tail phrases and they're expecting answers. Wow. That's what's happening with AI. And But here's the thing. Try shopping through AI, like if you want a laptop. And a lot of people are like, yeah, it's just going to replace everything. Google's just going to give you the answer and say, this is the laptop to buy. It's not that simple. Even when you're looking for a bike, they can't just say, here's a bike. As a consumer, you want to know what has different pricing options, what colors they are, what's the look, what's the weight. And yeah, you can filter through AI with the features that they're releasing, but still, you want options. AI isn't this mind reader where it can just be like, you know what, Jeff? 
you like these Louis Vuitton sh uh, sneakers. We know you're going to like them even though you didn't ask for it. Here you go. Let's charge your credit card and send it to your house. Sure. It's, it's, it's too hard. It's not going to happen. Today or ever? Uh, in the next five years. But do you see AI replacing certain departments of marketing? Yes. And do you see companies being able to get extremely lean by utilizing these tools to replace what was used, what used to be done by a lot of the people that were doing it pre yes. these technologies? And I think what you'll see is it won't necessarily replace a whole department. It'll take over certain departments. And you may have one-tenth of the humans to help out, and the AI helps with others. And like for a creative, for example, or for content creation, although we're seeing 94% of the content written by humans ranks higher than AI content. We did this whole study on it, and literally over 94%, it's 94% and some change, of human-written content outrank AI-based content. Today. Today. It's going to just keep getting better, though. I think human content will outrank AI content for a long time. Really? It feeds their engine. AI content is doing regurgitated information on what they already see on the web in the past. But eventually AI is going to be creating new content. Sure, but sometimes the content they create is manufactured and is not even accurate. So would you advise a marketer right now to use AI to get the skeleton or the framework of what they're going to write? Bingo. And then, and then humanize it? Yes, and then finish off the rest. So you may end up spending 30 40% of the time with AI. Or AI may have done 30 40% of the job, and then you may have done, you know, 60, 70% of the job. So when you said it re will replace creative, do you mean like words and... Uh, images, video production, audio production. When you say production, you mean the, the editing. Editing, the creation of it. You can just type stuff up and it'll come up with the video concept for you. So I could just pretend, I could use AI and create Neil Patel to sit here in this chair and just yes. start using words? My team has a version of that. Are you real? I'm real right Hold now. On. So to make sure. Yeah, I know I'm real. Uh, but what people don't realize is this is a long journey. People overestimate what AI can do for them in the short run because it can't do everything and it's not a you know magic box that you just click a few buttons and it does everything perfectly. But they underestimate what it can do for them in the long run. In the long run, it's going to be like iRobot and you won't have a maid in your house. Instead, you have a robot just cleaning your whole house. No mama? No mama. Oh, I miss mama. Yeah, I do too. Do you have a mama now? I have a lot of mamas right now. Okay. For those who don't know, Ma Mama was the coolest human being ever who lived, didn't live, but came every day to Neil's place. And she was basically like our secondary mom. Yeah. I mean, she would cook, clean. Uh, make sure we did everything we were supposed to, hold us accountable. Yeah. Yell at us when we were being dumbasses. Feed us, pack our suitcases <laughs> whenever I had to travel. Mm -hmm. You know? She was great. Yeah. Did you ever stay in touch with her? I haven't stayed in touch with her. Um, too much. She's still in Vegas. I, and then she started working in the casinos. Did she? And then uh, started getting new mamas once I got married. You know, my wife picked whatever house crew she wanted for cooks and nannies and cleaners and all that stuff. So AI is going to, robots are going to eventually take these jobs. But you see it, right? Because there's like the Roomba I, I think so, that yes. already travels your house. And but the Roomba's not that good, right? You, you'll have someone, something that's really good. Yeah, it's got to start somewhere. And the Roomba it was a great start. So if you were starting over today, because I think... Wait, 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 one quick thing, though. So even though AI is going to make marketing more efficient, all it's going to do is just cause marketing ad spend to go through the roof because you have this extra spread. Where are they going to spend that? To get the eyeballs. AI doesn't get you the eyeballs. 
You no. still have to go buy the eyeballs. And now you have more money to spend. On the eyeballs because your margins are now better. Which is great for a marketing agency. Dude, I was doing a podcast co- episode the other day. Did you know Airbnb spends around uh, $900 million uh, a year in marketing? Okay. Okay. I was looking at the Microsoft stat. I couldn't get marketing ads from, but I got advertising, which was one of the biggest chunks. I think it was like $1.1 billion. But look at the revenue difference from Airbnb and Microsoft. It's, it's enormous. Yeah, yeah, Microsoft is a two-plus trillion-dollar yeah, company, right? Yeah. And they have more cash than Airbnb generates. Yeah, yeah, Microsoft probably does more profit in a quarter than Airbnb generates <laughs> right. in a year. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think Microsoft does somewhere around $20 billion a quarter or maybe 17 or 16. Either way, it's a lot of money per quarter. But look how much less they spend, right? They're just more efficient with their dollars. All I'm getting at is like companies will just start, if, if they're more efficient on the labor side, they'll just start plowing it into getting clicks from Google or Bing or Facebook because now they have more ways to just get more traffic. But don't you see a world where we no longer actually need to go to the Googles, Bings because of these robotics where like Siri, it, people can just talk in their phone and Siri can answer questions, but eventually you're going to have these new mediums. So it won't be eyeballs to your website, but it'll be information coming immediately to me. I think it depends on the generation. The older generation, no, we're not seeing them adapt chat GPT quick enough. Yeah. Um, we're not seeing them adapt voice search quick enough, even when they have Alexa. Uh, younger generation, they're growing up with it. My kids will actually order stuff from Alexa. My parents have never ordered anything from Alexa and they don't understand that concept. Yeah. I really do believe it's a generation. Kids, when you have them grown up, I know yours are pretty much grown up. One's off in college and the other one will go soon. Sad time. But my kids versus your kids, big age difference, right? And in the grand scheme, not really so much, but in technology, big difference. My kids started searching first through voice. They don't understand the concept that you search through text and typing, right? Wow. So it's almost like cursive how it's gone for my kids. Yes. Typing might be gone for your kids. Bingo. And generationally, you can also optimize for, yes, you can just go to ChatGPT and it can tell you the answer, but you can companies will start switching up their spend. Did you know you can optimize for ChatGPT and get them to recommend your company when they talk about acai bowls and places like that? No, how do I do that? So they're using a lot of signals, like what's mentioned out on the web and links. They're using a lot of signals like traditional SEO. But here's the crazy thing. Chat GPT's index, at least from his current standpoint, is September 2021. Okay. That'll eventually change. So you can't go and optimize Everbowl today to rank in Chat GPT, maybe because you guys have been out longer than 2021, but you've really taken off in the last few years. Post-COVID, you guys saw a big boom. Yep. But you agree with me, pre-2021, you guys weren't that big. Regionally, we were good, but not nationally. Correct. So they're less likely to recommend you. Right. So if you do a lot of this stuff now, once your index gets up to date, you're more likely to get mentioned and generate sales from it. Similar with BARD. BARD is Google's version of ChatGPT. If you look at BARD, their index is a few weeks old. It's much easier to optimize for them to recommend you versus someone else. There's only a few weeks old? Yeah. How are they so far ahead of ChatGPT? Google has... The world's biggest index. They scrape the web every single day for search results. They don't oh. have to rescrape it for Bard. They already have scraped it for many years. <laughs> so is is Bard going to be the winner? I think Bard will be the winner, but you know, a lot of people look at ChatGPT and they're like, "Oh, this is going to be the winner." But I think Bard in the long run will. 
So is it kind of like ChatGPT was just the first mover? It's the MySpace and yes. Bart will be Facebook? Uh, I, I, I really do believe so. If you look at also Google, it wasn't the first search engine. I do think there'll be a world where there'll be both, like Coke and Pepsi. Um, but once Bard gets integrated into Google and once they can implement a lot of the technology, people already go to Google. More people go to Google than ChatGPT. Yeah. Once they realize they can get all those features from Google, it's on. Do people actually go to Bing? Uh, they do. It is one of the top 100 websites in the world the last time I checked. on. Uh, I don't think world. I know a single human that goes to Bing. It's older generation. And you know what? We see higher conversion rates on Bing over Google. You want to know why? The older generation has more disposable income. More of them are millionaires. They bought their homes back in the day, and their homes have yeah. appreciated. They have low mortgages. Some of them don't even have mortgages. Young generation screwed. Can't even buy a home. Dude, I was talking to my buddy Curtis. He has he has a stock that he he has some money in. He did work for a company. They didn't end up paying him because they didn't have the cash, so they gave him stock, and it was a crypto company. So he ended up going out there and just holding the stock, and he's up a crap load, right? I'm talking about, you know, he can make like a half a million dollars after taxes. And he's just like, I can't sell. I'm like, why? He's like, can't get me out of the rat race. I'm like, half a million dollars cash won't get you out of the rat race? He's like, no, I'm still going to be in the hamster wheel. I'm like, dude, even if I went to a million dollars after taxes, you're still going to be in the hamster wheel. He's just like, well, I need to get enough so I can at least put a down payment on a house. Like, think about that. You need like almost a half a million to a million dollars to put a down payment on a house. He's like, well, if it goes, you know, when you're doing the math, even at $2 million, if you put 500 down, the mortgage is too expensive. Yes. So now he needs at least a million to put down, if not more, because he can't buy a house for less than $2 million in Southern California. And he's looking for an old home that's like 100 years old that needs to be slowly renovated. That's all you can afford. And props to him. I'm not trying to, you know, talk trash on Curtis. It's hard for anyone to survive that's, up and coming and younger. So I feel bad for these people. Like, I don't know how they're going to do well. But the older people, like my parents and your parents, I don't know what your parents bought their house for, but my parents paid 200 grand. Yeah, so did mine. <laughs> it's worth over $2 million today. Yeah, and they kept it. They're like, yeah, it's not bad. I'm like, did you ever refinance your home? Yeah, but I didn't do it to take money out. Just, you know, reduce yeah. my interest rate. I was like, oh, what's your property tax, Dad? I don't know. He's like a few thousand dollars a year or something like that. Property tax is crazy. The Dude, cost I, of ownership, that's what that is what's so hard for this young generation and even our generation and down is if you finally can get that property to keep it and you, pay every year. All right. You don't know how much I spend on property tax a year? Uh, I'm afraid to hear, but go ahead. Take a guess. I'm going to guess 800 grand. No, that's too much. I'm more than 200, less than 300. Okay. I'm somewhere in that range. Well, I had I to go like, high. I, I think 260, 270, somewhere around there. A yeah. year. Yes. That's expensive. It's like a mortgage every single, you that's know. More than, that's more than two times the average income in America you're paying in property tax just to keep the house. But here's the crappy part. I got to make double, pay taxes, mm -hmm. and then I can pay my property tax. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's no, the I world we live in. My parents, though, doesn't matter what their house is at. They bought it for so cheap. Their yep. property tax has gone up, but so small. I know for a fact they're not paying more than five grand a year from property tax, if that. My parents like, yeah, it doesn't cost us more than like 1200 1300 a month to live. I'm like, yeah, because you don't have a mortgage. Your property tax is low. 
my parents don't want to put heating, I mean, air conditioning in their place because, like, it only gets hot three months out of the year. I'm like, yeah, but you've been in this house for over 30 years. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we're millionaires because of your home. Yes, which is how most people become millionaires. Yes. I think I saw a stat or a friend of mine told me the largest pool of millionaires in America are teachers. Wow. Yeah. Really? Because I they're that. conservative by nature. They save well. They buy their home. They work and they they have the pension and the tenure and they do all this and they invest and by the end of their life they're they're the largest pool of millionaires. Good for them. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. So, this is what I love about this next question I'm going to ask you for you because you've been so successful at so many businesses and you have just a very unique way of seeing opportunity and figuring out how to monetize it. Hey, fitness fans, ready to crush your fitness goals? Make your move to EOS Fitness, where becoming a member starts at just $9.99 a month. Gyms are open 24-7 and packed with the latest gym equipment to keep your workouts fresh. What are you waiting for? Give them a call, drop by, or hit up jefffenster.com forward slash EOS to join. EOS Fitness, better gym, better price. Now, let's get after those goals. As an entrepreneur, I know how meaningful it is to invest in the people and causes that are close to me. And on GoFundMe, it's easy, safe, and powerful to do just that. Whether you're supporting a family member, friend, local business, or charity. And whenever you make a donation, you're protected by the GoFundMe giving guarantee. Visit GoFundMe.com today to help make a positive difference in your community. I'm going to take away all the stuff you've ever done. All right. You're 22 years old. Okay. It's today. You're not going to like the answer. I I'm, know what your I question is. Go for it. Well, I don't want to like or not like. I want. I just want the answer. What are you going to do to make it in this world? Uh, I would go to college. But no, that's what I said. 22. After college. Yeah. Yeah. I would go to college. Yeah. And because some people are at 22 still don't go to college. I think everyone fine. should go to college. But side uh, topic. So if, if it was today. Today. 20 years from now, I don't know if everyone should go to college. Today. Yeah, but today, I still think, you know, I would try to go to uh, Harvard or Stanford or one of those good schools, and I would go into private equity, venture capital, hedge fund, iBanking, one of those financial fields. Uh, you may not make $5, $10 million a year. Some of them do. Some of them make way more than that. But there's a really certain path to a few million dollars a year in income. Okay, now I'm going to simplify that because you just went to areas that I was never getting into Harvard. I was okay. never getting. So let's go to the guy or girl who isn't going to get into the Harvards. Sure. Is going to go to your regular garden variety college. Sure. Have a good time. Graduate with some degree. Yeah. Now what? I would go work for a private equity office, a hedge fund office, or iBanking office, or venture capital office, and I'll start working for free and live with my parents. And, and work your way up. Work my way up. And then be on the track to making one to two million dollars <laughs> a year, and not have to worry and have the stress of being entrepreneur. It's still stressful to work for someone else. Sure, it's not easy. You still have a ton of pressure, sometimes even more than being entrepreneur. But it's more of a certain path to making enough money where you can be very comfortable, no matter where you want to live in the world. I do agree because I, I say the same thing. I don't think most people should be entrepreneurs. No, I think you're wired to be one. You should be one. Wait, would you be entrepreneur all over again? If I don't want it for my kids, would you be one all over again? I I mean I don't I can't say I have to say yes because I don't know what else I would do. See, I, I really would go into one of those financial. Fields. I can't do that though. 
I would drive, I would get bored after three years. I want to do something else. No, I would just go. I would be an employee, and then I would start my own financial company and compete with them, and then just try to make the cash. Okay, now that I would try. Yeah. I mean, that's what I did at my payroll business. Yeah. Yeah, learn from them and then do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. But that's what I do. I would make all the connections with the LPs, which are limited partners, mm-hmm. that you go and get your money or capital, your millions, hundreds of millions or billions, and then I would end up, you know, having my own fund and take my own two and 20. Now, outside of just the capital side, do you think that those industries are not going to get completely overrun and disrupted through technology over the next five, 10, 15 years? Because you're building a career now in this industry. Yes. You still think that's the, that's the avenue to go? Uh, I don't think they're going to get overrun by, like, I don't see private equity getting overrun by AI. Okay. I think what's going to end up happening is, is private equity is going to use AI to buy companies and make them more efficient. So what um, do you need? You don't need those lower level analysts. Uh, not necessarily. You still may want those analysts, but I'm not talking about, see, the big opportunity isn't saving money on analysts. These guys have high margins where they're going to make the money is not by cutting the analysts. They're going to make the money by saying, Hey, your company, forget AI. You're not even on the cloud. You still have all these servers in this location. We're going to modernize your company and put it on the cloud. And then we're going to use AI. Oh, and then, by the way, we just cut 30% of your staff. They're going to start doing stuff like that, and that's where the money is going to be made, not from cutting the analyst who's getting paid 180 to 200 grand mm-hmm. a year. The reason I'm asking these questions, and it's for the audience's sake, is I've found a way to make money by looking at the transition of things over time and saying, how can you get in in front run, right? Like Kind of like what we did when we used to do digital marketing together, and it was like, all my previous clients were offline, archaic and old yes. businesses. And so when I came to you and said, look at all these businesses that need help online, we could digitize their entire ecosystem. Yes. Can't do that today. Everyone now no. understands it. So what you're saying is these fields can now be front run in the same capacity and get in. Yes. Learn how to optimize the technology. Correct. And help them get from servers to AWS and global. Yes. So that's an opportunity for those listening at home. That's right. There's tons of opportunities. The real question is, what do you want to do and what are you passionate about? And I say they go hand in hand because if you say you want to do something, but you're not passionate about it, you're not going to last long. If you're passionate about something, typically it's what you want to do because you enjoy it because you're good at it. Yeah, I agree. And on that vein, what is the Neil Patel recipe for success? Focus. I think that's the biggest issue people have. If you look at your success at Everable, your success isn't from your building company. What is that called again? We build. We build. It's not from that. Your success was you did actually, let me actually go back. Your success is from your wife. Your wife <laughs> wanted a juice store and you didn't want to do one. And then you ended up doing one to make her happy. She didn't want to run it. You ran it. And then it turned into a business that flourished, <laughs> right? I'm not saying your wife couldn't make it flourish. She just chose that she wasn't passionate about a juice store, but she wanted one temporarily. Asaibo. Asaibo. Yes. I thought she wanted a juice store. She liked juice at the time. I liked acai bowls. Yeah, but you transformed it into acai. Yes. She said you need to have juice in there. Yes. But but when she wanted to start, the original concept came from a juice store, not acai bowl. Right? And when you look at your success, you just did one thing really well. I'm going to make amazing acai, affordable prices, high quality, and this is all we're going to do. We don't have 20 things. We're just going to do one thing really well. And you focused on it from everything to the recipe, to the products you're using, to the spoons, to the logos and color schemes, to the messaging, to making sure that you can build it in an affordable manner. And you kept going. And then you kept raising money, kept getting bigger. You also had some liquidity. Congratulations to you. Thank you. 
And then you're just like, all right, now conquer this. This business has grown really big. You got in private equity partners and celebrities like the Drew Brees and stuff like that and Shaq's and all those kind of people. And then you're like, Shaq's right. not on the Everbull side. He's on the WeBuild side. But uh, yes. the same thing. I just want to clarify. Yeah. And then you went into being like, all right, we now know how to build these things really well. Our private equity partners also have a lot of other restaurants and chains. Let's actually start building all their restaurants uh, for them. Because if you look at your return for Everbull, I think your payback period is less than two years, right? Year and a half? On average, cash on cash is, is pretty strong. Yeah, which is very strong. Most restaurants, I believe, is a three-year plus period, correct? Mm -hmm. And you're roughly half the time. So when you look at it, you're just like, okay, I already focused on Everbull, figured out how to do things really affordably. I already have my investors and my partners build restaurants throughout the whole world, and they own tons of these franchises. Oh, wait, we can build them all cheaper now, right? You already did the Everbowl. You're still working on it, but it's evolved. Management team came in, et cetera, cash out some chips. And you're like, all right, now let me focus on building other restaurants in a very economical uh, manner. And the focus is this allows you to do well. So and I think that's the key that most people get wrong in which they try to do too many things at once. They don't focus. And when you don't focus, you just lose too much money. Okay, focus. But what about the people who work really hard? And when I say really hard, I, I say the difference between productivity and activity, but they're very active. They're spending yeah, hours but, but and hours. Yeah, but working really hard has nothing to do with making money. Agreed. But I'm, I'm saying, so those people who are saying, you know, I'm working 10, 12, 14-hour days. Yep. But I'm not making any traction. I'm not getting anywhere. Yeah. Well, the, the, the biggest problem that we see with people trying to make money and not making any money is the first thing is a lot of them believe that the riches are in the niches. That's the total opposite. The riches are in big, broad, you know, massive TAM markets. TAM stands for total addressable market. So the bigger the market, like people drinking water, that is a big market. Everyone in this world eventually will take a sip of water. Right, And I say eventually because babies come out drinking milk. I don't know what portion of milk is considered water, but they're drinking milk from their mother. And I'm not a scientist, so I don't know what portion is water. But either way, they're eventually drinking water. That is a massive TAM. Look at people like Fiji Water, Aquapana, you know, Evian. These are brands that people take for granted but make a crap load of money. Sure. So the first thing that's wrong is they're not focusing on big enough markets. Because it's much easier to become a millionaire taking 0.01% of a really massive market than it is taking 50% of a $10 million market. The next thing is... is Well, let me, let, me, let me pepper that, though. Okay. But it's harder to take 0.001% of that big market when you have those I, I, I behemoths. Don't, not necessarily. I, I don't think so. I'm talking about taking a fraction of a fraction of a percent. We find it's easier because there's so many people looking for your products and services. It's not that hard to penetrate the market. I think it is really hard to take one, two, three, four, five percent of a market, but not a fraction of a percent in getting some revenue or. So as long dollars. as that fraction has a high enough upside that you can live with, then it's okay. If you're in the water industry, which must be a multi-billion-dollar industry, at least it's it's not hard to make a million dollars selling water. Sure, I'm not talking about a million in profit. I'm just talking about revenue. The second thing is people focus on the wrong things. 
right? So they believe like, oh, I just build it and they will come. No, you got to actually market it. You got to have a good product. You got to have something that's unique. You got to have a value proposition that helps separate you from the competition. That's going to convince people to give it a try. Think of like a liquid death. Had a totally different spin on it. Smart model. Yeah. A a lot of them explode. Yeah. They don't have tons of celebrities or anything like that. They just use a different model. On the flip side. They have some celebrities. Yes, but at the early days, I don't think they had yeah. any. Metallica's also involved with them. At the early days? Metallica's? No, but now, I think. Yeah, but they've blown up now, right? But if you look at Everbowl, you did well without celebrities, and then you got celebrities eventually involved. Yeah. But at the beginning, you grew just fine without celebrities. Now, you have some other companies who have done well purely through celebrities, like Beats by Dre, grew by not just using Dre's fame. They use LeBron's fame, the Kardashians' fame, and the list goes on and on. Right, yeah. I would see Russell Westbrook come out with Beats by Dre headphones when he was walking out, and you know his outfit. He always had unique outfits walking into the uh, arena, um, and I never always understood why those baseball players wear those fancy clothes or basketball players because it's like one wear. They never want to be seen in that <laughs> outfit again. I'm like, you just burn two, three grand on that outfit, and you'll never be. Have you seen their salaries? Yeah, that's true, but doesn't mean you should just waste it. I agree, but have you seen their salaries? <laughs> these yeah. are most of these guys are in their early twenties making hundreds of thousands of dollars for 48 minutes. Yes, but but now, and also because of the media deals, they're making even yes. bigger killings. Did you see that contract. Otani deal? It's not a good deal. For him. It's a terrible deal. I don't know why he's postponing it all. Yes. $700 million, but he gets $2 million, I think, a year for the first seven years? Dude, I did the math on compounding interest. If you can just clip 9% like the S&P, he gets creamed. It's one of the worst sports deals I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, by the way, in my book, you're one of the only people who answered the question of, would you rather a million dollars or know a thousand people really well? You're one of the only people who said, I want the million dollars, and you gave me the S&P answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, though. Everyone's like, oh, I'm going to make more. It's like, no, you're not. Like, let's just be honest. You probably already know a lot of people. Well, are they actually giving you money? Probably not. Okay. Well, hey, listen. I, Wait, would you that, take the million dollars or the... I'll take the people, because let's be honest. I made millions of dollars working with you. Yeah. I didn't have the skill. You uh, did. I had the relationships with the people who needed your skill. And by us partnering, I was able. So it depends who you are, right? You have the technical skill. I didn't. I also am a decent financial investor. You're all right. So give me the capital and I'll just go invest it in yeah. the stock market. So I, I'm on the other side of the coin. But I, it was interesting because out of all the people I asked, every chapter I asked somebody. And you're one of the only people that said that. And rightfully so. For you, it makes more sense. Because if I give you a million dollars, you will turn it into a lot. No, I think that's the right answer for most people. But I don't think most people know. You give most people. It's why people and who win the lottery, they raucous, lose the money. You no, know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to put the money in the S&P. That's why I also said you have to put the money in the S&P. Yeah, but to keep it in the S&P. Because all of a sudden, it's fine. I put a million dollars in the S&P. I'm making some money. But then I can't pay my bills next month, so I have no, to pull you, from you it. can. You can live off of around 3 to 4% conservatively. Talk to any wealth manager. No, Who do you know, really, out of your social group that can realistically live off of 3 to 4%? Of a million dollars a year. You're talking 30, 40 grand a year. Correct. Can't Combined have. with their job. Okay. Still hard. It's it's doable. Let it compound. Yeah. It'll be their nest egg. In a perfect world, you're right. It's just in Don't practice. Don't live in California. Hard. Go live in Missouri <laughs> or somewhere where the cost of living isn't bad. Yes. But anyway, carry on. So, okay. Okay. So, the other problem is, is they don't, they're not differentiated. The other problem is, is they're not spending enough time and energy on things like marketing, building their brand hearing out their customers, finding out what issues their customers have with their product or service, and then fixing them, right? 
But if you do the basic fundamentals, over time, you'll do better. And one of the things that most people make a mistake in, they try to figure it out all on their own. So then they believe, oh, I need a business partner. Business partner solves it. Having a business partner is great at the early stages because you don't have a ton of capital. So they can do the stuff that you can't, especially if uh, you guys have different skill sets. But more than just a business partner, you need to hire people from the industry who have done it before, who are successful, who work for your competition, because they'll help you get there faster. Yeah. That's how you make money. Seems easy enough. But it takes time and persistence. <laughs> the issue you. is, is most people won't put in the time and persistence. And why they do you think that persistent. is? Um, they're not passionate about it. They give up. Uh, they want the quick hit. You know, uh, I was with my buddy Eric the other day. We have a podcast together, and he was talking about someone who has 100 million views from, you know, all their social channels. And I was like, what industry? I bet you it's like mass, mass industry. He's like, yeah. He's like, it's make money online. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, because everyone wants to get rich quick. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't know this person. I'm not saying the stuff they're putting out is bad or good. I have no feedback because I don't know what it is. But I bet you majority of the people will be disappointed. Even if hypothetically, let's assume this person's content is amazing, which it could be. And let's say it really does help people make more money, which it can. A lot of the people won't do anything with it because they're lazy and they just want the result right then and there, which isn't reality. And it's, and it's true because we overcomplicate stuff. I mean, whether it's health and wellness. It's not yes. complicated to lose weight and get in shape. It's just hard to have consistency, focus, and dedication to working out and eating right. Dude, one of the simplest things, and it's in your slogan, unevolve. If you want to lose weight, stop eating processed food. See what that does to your body after three months. No joke. Just stop eating processed food. How's your diet these days? My diet's terrible. Is it? Yes. Kids. My wife keeps buying so many snacks and then we go to restaurants and the kids don't finish their plate. So then I just eat their food because I want to save the money. Some things I want to save money on, some things I don't, but I'm getting back to eating healthy. And when I say it's bad, it's bad for me because I used to be no sweets, no chocolates, no ice creams, no nothing. And now I'm eating some of that. That is stuff. true. I, that's the one thing I hated about staying at your place. I was like, there is no snacks in here. No, no snacks. So, Nothing. So now, Hummus. yeah. So now I eat a little bit of snacks, and I'll eat some unhealthy food. Like yesterday, someone gave us a gift basket, so I eat the chocolates in there. But normally, I wouldn't do that. That's like maybe a once every two, three week thing. Okay. So it's not like I'm that bad, but for me, that's bad, right? Still, no fried food or no cheese or any of that. I'm trying cheese again, though. I'm like, oh, let me add it to the diet. And I, I haven't, but I'm going to. Oh, start you're going trying. to. Did yeah. you like cheese before? Uh, I stopped eating it because it caused me acne when I was a kid. But did you like the taste? I got used to not eating it. No, I know, but... I, I, I like nacho cheese. I didn't care for cheese, but okay. in like normal shredded Pizza. cheese. Uh, didn't care for it. I love nacho cheese. Nacho cheese, which is not... I don't even think that is real cheese. It, pizza cheese isn't bad. Like, you know, just... Whatever. You're talking about the nacho cheese that comes out of the little machine at the bowling <laughs> yeah. alley, which is probably the same cheese from when we were kids. <laughs> that Still in good. The, yeah, it's processed. Yeah, I know. But I, I, I haven't started, and I try not to eat that kind of stuff. Someone should create a healthy version of that cheese. There must be. I don't think there is. The, uh, you'll go add the uh, product to Somebody shop. please make that and send it to Neil because Neil needs that cheese. Yeah, a, like a truckload. Right. I want a truckload to be delivered to your house of that cheese. But I'm tr I still don't eat like I was at Javier's the other day. I didn't eat chips. Like chips mm -hmm. and salsa, I'll skip on that. So like my diet's still probably for most people – 99.9% .9 of the world are probably healthier than them. I mean, you, you look identical to the day I met you. Like, literally. Yes. I mean, maybe a 
couple gray hairs in the beard, but otherwise identical. I'm, I'm the same weight since you met me. I lost weight in between when I was too healthy. My weight dropped down to like 117, 119 pounds. What do you know? I'm at 132, 133. So it's healthy weight for yeah, my size. For sure. It's probably I'm still underweight, but I eat too uh, healthy, and I do intermittent fasting combined with healthy eating. I do intermittent fasting. Yeah, what time do you eat? Typically from 12 to 6, and that's it. Okay. And now I'm shifting it to uh, breakfast all the way to, like, lunch, and that's my last meal. So no dinner. How are you going to do that in business? Just don't eat. Yeah, because I can't think that. about it. You eat lunch, you eat dinner, and then I go to sleep early. So yeah. you still have a lot of food in your stomach. Yeah. If you eat breakfast and I eat a big breakfast and eat lunch, I have six hours to burn off the food. I mean, it's true. I just find for my lifestyle, I don't eat breakfast. I don't eat lunch. I start eating at 2, 3 o'clock. I eat till about 8 or 9 o'clock. And that way I have dinner with the kids, the family, business, friends. I'm now doing breakfast with the kids. Yeah, okay. <laughs> my kids are asleep. Yeah, they're older. They yeah. get to pick their own schedule. Yes. I'm looking forward to those days. <laughs> Are you getting sleep? I, I get great sleep. Still eight hours a day. Do you? Yeah, some days nine. That's great. So how would you define marketing today? I I have a great post on this okay. on Twitter. I'm going to read it. Okay. Okay? And I love this. And in all honesty, my team created this for me, so I didn't even create this. Don't you just love the transparency? Yes. That's what happens when you have a ton of employees. Which, like, going back to the other question, is why knowing the right people is very valuable. Yes. So this was, what is marketing, okay? Okay. Making a poster for a grand play and spreading it. That's advertising. Actors performing teasers around town, that's promotion. When a scene accidentally leaks to the public and the news covers it, that's publicity. <laughs> Convincing the town council that this adds charm to the community event, that's public relations. When the audience fills the theater, enjoys the show, asks questions, buys merchandise, and spends more money, that's sales. And if you plan the whole thing from poster to the final curtain, that's marketing. That's a great post. Yeah, it did well. It should have done well. Yeah. So, so marketing is the strategy. Marketing is yep. the plan, the overarching thesis of what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Yes. So a lot of people think of marketing and online marketing only for e-com products, SaaS-based technologies, digital courses and products, where I think a lot of businesses, which is most businesses in America, struggle is brick and mortar marketing online and getting people from clicks yes. through the door. Well, what they struggle with is a full funnel. That's the easiest way to describe it. Okay. From getting the person to your website or your storefront. It doesn't matter if it's brick and mortar or online. And then you have to get them to buy. And then you have to get them to keep coming back and buying and transacting. That's marketing, the whole life cycle of a user. Yep. Getting them to buy more products, promotions, cross-promoting, you know, figuring out how to increase your lifetime value of your customer. That's the hard part. That's how you make it profitable. You know, marketing isn't tough from the aspect of getting someone to your website or storefront. You can buy that traffic from Google or Facebook. It's not expensive. If you buy it in quantity, sure, it adds up. The part that is expensive is making it profitable. And unless you can figure out how to get that customer to keep coming back and buying more or being able to upsell them or downsell them, just like when you go to McDonald's, they say, hey, do you want to supersize that? Do you want fries with that? 
Mm-hmm. If I order chicken nuggets for my kids, although McDonald's is terrible, you know, but every once in a while, like, if we're on a road trip, we'll get it from. Though, if I order chicken nuggets, they'll say, do you want a Happy Meal instead with chicken nuggets? These are all examples of upsells which help them generate more <laughs> revenue. If you can figure out how to squeeze more revenue out of your customers, and not in an unethical way, but by providing more value, you're much more likely to really make money and to make your marketing work well for you. So I'm going to ask you this question. It's going to be directed towards Everbull, but for those listening, you can apply it to your brick and mortar. You open an Everbull. Okay. How are you going to market this brick and mortar local store in your region that you live in where you don't need global audience, but you're fighting in what's probably a decently competitive industry of smoothies, acai bowls, health food, but it's local. I would do something that is really silly concept-wise, but it'll work really well and it's better than buying paid ads. You go around, you hand out flyers to everyone in the neighborhood. Actual flyers. Yep. And you let them know what day you're opening and you tell them that you're going to end up providing stuff for free. So if your Everbowl is, let's say... Your Everbowl. Okay, my Everbowl. Let's say the amount that it is someone buys, I'm making this up, is like a pint. Okay. Instead, what I would do is give them like a half a cup for free. Okay? So you're giving them stuff for free instead of giving them the whole big enchilada. You're giving them a sample, but a big enough sample where they're satisfied. And they know the quality of the product, so then that way they're more likely to continually come back. If you actually do the math, in most cases, that's probably going to be cheaper than spending the money on Google and Facebook. And then once you're open, which is a great strategy because we do friends and family, we actually do that, so I love that. Okay. and then Now once we're f- open. Then you ha- ask people to leave the reviews and the ratings and all these places. You, you create your Google My Business, your Yelp uh, listings. And then once you do all that, boom, you're off into the races and you'll make more money. Would you advise to utilize the Instagrams, the Twitters, the I TikToks? Would. And tell people and give them the hashtags and come up with cool stickers and signage that they can hold up while they're eating my Everbowl because mm-hmm. it's my store at this point. Yep. And, uh, you know, get more coverage for it. And so it would, it does, it does work. It does work. Cause I hear from a lot of brick and mortar and we, we do it, but I hear from a lot of brick and mortar, those things don't actually translate. And I don't know if it's because they don't have the right recipe. Dude, you've done how many ever bowls yourself? 28. Yourself, not yes. franchises. Yes. Okay. How many of them did you offer stuff for free? 28. And how many were successful out of those 28? Well, actually 29, 28 of 29 were successful. Okay. Why did the last one not work? It was in a location we just missed on the real estate. Either way, that's an amazing batting average. It was pretty good. You know, if that uh, Otani, right? Otani yeah. got a $700 million contract, you were playing baseball, you would have got a $2 billion contract if you're batting 28 out of 29. You agree with this? Yes. Angels or Dodgers pay me. Yes. So the strategy works. It's just people execute things in a really bad way. Okay. In which maybe they don't hand out enough flyers. You can't just open a store and be like, stuff's free. Well, you didn't tell anyone that stuff's free. So how do people know? Oh, I put a sign in front of the store. Well, how many people are going to drive by out there? Maybe not a lot. Maybe you picked a bad location. But if you actually take the time and energy weeks before your opening and message people and go around and keep just telling people, you'll build up the hype and people are like, oh, cool. This is going to happen. Okay, so I want to end with you talking to the audience, share with our entrepreneurs, the aspiring entrepreneurs, the entrepreneurs, the solopreneurs, the people who are fighting just to stay alive. We're heading into 
rougher, rougher economic times. Yeah. Uh, it's 20, you know, it's 2020. We're filming this right by the end of 23, but this will go live in 24. Interest I think rates are high. will be a better, better year. Okay. I, I'm not saying it's going to be an amazing year. They may claim it's a recession or whatnot, but we're already living in a climate that feels like a recession. So what's the difference? And we did have two quarters of GDP decline. Yep. So, you know, what's the difference really? Yep. So what advice can you give them right now? They're struggling to basically stay afloat. Marketing, because you're also a world-class entrepreneur. You do a ton of M&A. People know you as the SEO online marketing guru, sure. but everyone who really knows you knows you actually crush it in all the different businesses you own, invest in, and buy. I mean, you're a world-class entrepreneur. You have figured out entrepreneurship. And I think for a lot of people, they may say, okay, but outside of marketing, there's all these other things. Like what, what would you advice can you give them? Best advice, they're listening, they're struggling, and they need to hear from you and they get this one opportunity. Sure. So- I would do a few things, and you're not going to like some of these responses. Number one, live with your parents or a sibling or somewhere so you can save on rent. Number two, create a side hustle or more so a job that you may not like that can pay some of the bills. Either you're working for someone or you're doing Uber or Instacart deliveries or something that's bringing you cash. Remember, you don't have to pay for rent at this point. And if you do have to pay for rent, try to live with a lot of other people, even if you have a family. I know some could say like, hey, this is not common. People don't do it. It's not practical. Dude, and, you know, I remember my dad telling me in India, they would have multiple families literally in a two-bedroom uh, apartment. And when I say multiple families, I'm not talking about two. I'm talking about like three or four with multiple kids for each family. And it sucks, but sometimes you have to make sacrifices for long-term gains. Number three, create your side hustle. So now you got some income coming in and your side hustle should be on something that you're passionate about. If you're passionate about something, you're more likely to put in the time, the effort, do better at it, uh, be consistent so eventually you can make money from it. If you don't know what you're passionate about, keep trying new things every day or every week until you find something that you're naturally good at, which tends to be something you'll also like and continue to focus on that. Uh, the next one, four, make sure it's in a big TAM. We talked about TAM earlier, total addressable market. The bigger the TAM, the easier it is to make some sort of money. And number five, figure out what you can do in that TAM that separates you or differentiates you from the competition and just keep grinding away. You don't have to pay for mentorship or anything like that. You can learn a lot off of YouTube in the early days, uh, going to free networking events and just talking to people. Um, and make sure you also create all your social platforms like TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera. Create content on Twitter. You'll first see what hits and is popular, then take the stuff that hits and then apply it to Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube, et cetera. And now you got content that'll just start generating way more traffic and you'll start generating more sales and you'll build up your brand within that vertical that you created your business in and you're off into the races, but it just takes time and you gotta be patient and you gotta make sacrifices that you probably don't wanna make, but it's life. That's great advice. I do have one bonus question because I saw a piece of content you put out and you just touched on it. You don't believe in business coaching. I don't and believe And I know that that coaching. is a huge market right now. Yeah. And um, I have a lot of friends that are business coaches. I've talked about coaches. I think having coaches is important, but maybe it's not in the term you meant, or maybe it is. So I, I, I you know, and, and I put this within my Twitter post, but I think a lot of people tend not to look at it. A lot of the business coaches out there tell you how they're going to help you make more money. Yep. That's a bunch of bull. That's my problem with most of the coaches. Mm -hmm. 
and they want to get paid an arm and a leg to help you get rich when they themselves got rich from just charging other people like you and not doing anything really substantial in their life. If they said they did, show me. Don't tell me that, oh, you know, I did this with this company. Actually, show me. Mm-hmm. Not the bull crap of like, I did this because a lot of people, a lot of them make up stuff. But actually, show me like, how do I know your revenue was actually that high? Were you on the ink list? Was it fast growing? Oh, okay. Uh, you know, we took this company public and it did X, Y, and Z. What's the market cap? Oh, you got delisted because the company didn't perform well, right? You, uh, there's a lot of people out there that are just selling crap. And a lot of the good business coaches I know, and I know some, but they if they believe in something and they are that successful themselves, they'll coach you on specific aspects, not how to get rich. They may teach you how to manage better if you're struggling with management or s- certain things that you're struggling with. But they're flexible in how they get their payment. If they really believe in your business, they'll take equity in it or shares or whatever it may be. The business coaches I have a problem with are the ones that say they're going to help you make more money. If someone's just a coach saying like, hey, you're terrible at managing. You've never been a CEO. I'm going to teach you how to manage employees and hire, et cetera. Cool. They're just helping you on a specific skill. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you look at the majority of the business coaches that market themselves on the web, and I bet you the majority in your friends group, I bet you a lot of them promise they're going to help you make money. Yeah. I mean, it is a theme of business coaching, for sure. We're yeah. going to help you make more money. We're going to help your business grow. Yes, but they're making getting most of their customers because they're telling people we're going to help you make more money. Yeah. I mean, I hear you, and I don't disagree. The only part that I disagree with is I don't think Michael Jordan was coached by Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson wasn't a great basketball That's player. That's not a business coach. I'm talking about business coaches. No, I'm just using coaching in general. Like, coaches don't have to have done it to be able to coach. Phil Jackson was a basketball player. Yeah, he just wasn't a great basketball yeah. player. But to me, what a, the, a true business coach, the purpose is it kind of more what you ended on, which is how are you helping me think and be better at my profession, not you have some magic touch that's going to open the door for millions of dollars. And I think you're right. If I'm sitting there hearing you're going to promise me, oh, Neil Patel, the new coach, he's going to make me millions of dollars. He's not. Can he help me think about marketing better? Can he help me think about TAM? Can he help me understand how to grow a company? Yes. Sure. I, I agree with that. But the problem with the coaches is they're promising you or, you know, maybe they're not promising, but they're implying that you're going to make much more money. Yes. Instead of saying, I'm going to teach you how to be a better marketer. I'm going to teach you how to be a manor, better manager. Indirectly, that should lead to more income yep. and hopefully profit. But the problem with most of the business coaches that you and I know in the industry, they promise I'm going to help you make more money. Yes. Even if it's coaching on real estate. Oh, yeah, we're going to show you how to make a killing with all this real estate stuff. Oh, we're going to show you how to make a killing with getting more um, uh, leads to your business and closing all this business. And it's going to double or triple it because you're going to learn how to do sales like we do. Like, no, dude, it doesn't always work that way. Sure, you may have some success successes, but you're not going to have a ton of them. A lot of people just won't it won't end up working out. And my favorite is. I once had lunch with the person that they helped. They were a business coach and they were showing how they're making a killing, like over $10 million a year, teaching other people to be business coaches. Right? It's like, all right, <laughs> this doesn't really provide any value to the world. Right. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. And, it, and I think it's. And, a- and that's the people that are doing the marketing. 
You want to talk about business coaches that aren't doing any marketing saying, hey, we're, you know, those are the business coaches that do really well and have some sort of value to provide aren't the ones going on Google and doing marketing saying, we're going to help you get rich. And they'll help you with specific aspects. They probably get all their business from referrals or word of mouth. And they're not here to tell you they're going to make you get rich. They're going to help you solve specific problems within your business. And my post specifically, and I mentioned it within my Twitter post, was about the people who are saying, we're going to get help you get rich. Well, they made all their money charging people like you. And, I, and I'm glad you said that because I think that distinction is vital. And I wanted yes. to clear, clarify because I don't want people to hear your Twitter posts and think coaching is bad. And I don't want people to not hear your Twitter feed and run after thinking someone's going to make them millions of dollars. You're right. If I promise you, I'm going to make you millions of dollars. I'm making or my money it, off of or you. Or imply it and or show like, look at what we've done with these results. Here's millions of dollars here and there. And this is we created five, you know, but for $5,000, I'll do that for you. Exactly. And that's the problem. And that's a lot of the coaches out there that are doing the marketing. Yes. But there's reputable people that go out there and can help you with specific problems within a business. They're not promising you the world on making money. My problem is the ones that promise you they'll make you more money. I, they can't. And yes, they could say, well, we don't promise. Well, you're implying it with your language. Look how many Rolls Royces I have. Look how many Bugattis I have. Like, okay, who cares? Cool car, bro. Look at my Honda Odyssey that I take my kids to school in. Whoop-de-doo. Mm -hmm. Who gives a crap? Yeah, I mean, you're right. And I want to thank you because... I love your perspective on entrepreneurship. Obviously, our friendship has been phenomenal. The work we've done together, I've learned and become more of the entrepreneur I am today watching you and how you have such a remarkable way of simplifying things down to a digestible format. And when you do that in your business, you can actually execute. When you think it's this super complicated mess, it's really hard to figure out what to do. But you have a really good way of saying, oh, I need to do this first, then do this, yes. then do this then do this. And you've done it across so many different areas and verticals. Neil Patel Digital's in what, 19 countries now? Yeah. That's amazing. Dude, thank you for having me. Dude, thank you. And for those watching, you need to, if you don't already follow Neil, you have to, because you can learn an absolute ton. If you need marketing services, reach out to Neil Patel Digital. Yes. They will help you. And, and one last piece of advice for all of you guys listening. I know we talked about coaching a little bit and Jeff gives out tons of advice. Follow the people that aren't flashy talking about what they have. You know, a lot of those people will talk about, oh, we don't buy homes. They're bad investments and stuff. I agree. If you know what you're doing, typically buying a home isn't the best ROI. You can make much more money in other things. But at the same time, a lot of those people will spend money on five Rolls Royces. Well, instead of five Rolls Royces, you're better off buying a home and using that money as a mortgage payment and owning the home at the end of the day versus a depreciating asset like five Rolls Royces which is what a lot of the people online claim. Yeah, buying a home is bad, but also buying five Rolls Royces is bad. Yeah, you heard it here. Don't buy Rolls Royces, potentially buy a home. Reach out to Neil Patel Digital for your marketing services. Follow Neil because he'll actually be, he doesn't charge you for coaching and he's going to give you that advice. I learned from him. So I'm sure you remember, we met through a mutual friend, Pat Flynn. Yeah. Because I was looking to figure out how to do digital marketing and had no idea actually at the time who you were or what, how to do digital marketing. And I reached out to Pat and said, Pat, I'm going to pay you a couple hundred grand to teach me digital marketing. He's like, my business is called Smart Passive Income. You should talk to Neil Patel. I'm like, who's Neil Patel? And he's like, Google him. So I do. I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to meet him. And so he got us that call. And I was trying to be different with you. So I went and got actually our, my first client, ChefWorks, before we had ever spoken and said, me and Neil are going to come in and do all this work for you. And we're going to make our money on the upside. And we had the call. And I remember calling you and saying, hey, nice to meet you. And you're like, nice to meet you. I'm like, I have a check for 150 grand. Where do I mail it? And you were like, uh, what? And I'm like, yeah, I have a check. 
ready to go. And you're like, who are you? Do you remember, do you, do you remember what you thought of when I did that back then? I thought you were crazy <laughs> in a good way. I thought you were ambitious and hungry and you're willing to do whatever it took in an ethical way to succeed. And what I loved about you is you said you actually never took the check. You flew to San Diego. You're like, let's go meet this client. Let me see if I can help them. If I can help them, we can figure this out. And that showed me that you had the authenticity, the integrity, and the kind of human I wanted to do any kind of business with. Because if you had said, yeah, here's my address, mail the check, and go tell them yes, I probably would have still written you the check, but it would have made me feel like you were not really as honest as you were. No, I, I didn't, A, care for the money, and B, the reason I came down to San Diego, it wasn't even the client. I didn't care for that either. It was more so I saw potential in you. And I was like, well, if this person's willing to do whatever it takes to succeed, this person will eventually do well. And you have. You've proven it. Not only with Everbull, but you've done extremely well now with two companies. Well, thank you. Thank you. And and that's the whole thing about being not only getting the opportunities, because this is what a lot of people struggle is like, oh, I don't get the opportunity. But then when you get that opportunity to talk to Anil Patel, who can help you, and yes. you need to differentiate yourself. But yes. And what was funny is when you created Everbowl, you asked me if I wanted to be partners. I said no. Mm-hmm. You oh. offered me shares to advise, and I said, I'll help you out for free. I don't need the shares. True. And you made a killing. And the way I look at it is, I want you to keep making more. I don't want to take any of your money. I want it to go to you and your own family. At the end of the day, when you meet great people and you can build friendships, money isn't everything. And you are true. I mean, this is a, a something I've actually never said, and I've said it to you. With all of our clients that we had, I remember saying, you have to let me pay you for this client. <laughs> and you were like, all right, this one, finally, it was after, I think it was Gunbroker was the one of the first ones you said, fine, send me the check. Yeah. And then you started taking checks. But Neil's right. He was, it was hard to pay you. Yeah, like you're that kind money. of guy. And yeah. so I felt bad because we were, I, I owed you half the money. And I'm like, take yeah, but at the this, money. At, at this time, and I don't mean in a bad way, look yeah. at where you've gone. You were starting off. You needed the money. I did. And I felt that the money was better with you and it helped you create what you have today, your empire. So I look at it as like, I got to help you accomplish your dreams in a really, really, really tiny way. And mainly because you had the ambition and drive. And even without me, I still think you would have figured it out all on your own and you would be where you are today, even maybe even better without me. Impossible. Um, but Impossible. for me, it was just like, you're just a great person with good values. And well, I was happy to meet you and lucky to have you as a friend. Well, thank you, man. I'm proud to have you as a friend, man. I'm thankful that you came and shared your wisdom with our audience. And it's always fun to hang out. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Dude, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you're looking to level up your relationship capital game, then take a minute and text the word Jeff to 33777 for a free copy of my Network to Millions playbook. The link will also be provided in the show notes below. See you guys next time.